Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper on, uh, I guess it's Monday, probably. September Mon- 19th, 18th. 18th, yes. That's, the Monday was the easy part. 2023. Right, 2023. We're on to that. It is 2023. Gloomy day here. It's raining like nobody's business. In Lineport. It's, it's been raining every every few days for weeks. And you, you still no, think we no, need more rain. You still we- think we need the more rain. The weather has been exquisite. Okay, oh, The weather right. has been delightful. It's been nice, but uh, we have yeah. a lot of rain. It's, uh... You're a complainer. <laughs> you make these things up. Rained like nobody's business last night. Good good weather for reading the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. And crying in your beer over the Giants. No, Giants won. Oh, the Gi- oh that's right. <laughs> Boy, oh. But they were such a disaster. They were losing. They won. That's that's the way to no, do it. No, but it seemed like uh, you know everything was pointing downward. Right. They were the losing last few in the first... weeks. It's like how can they possibly ever win? They were losing. It's in the... all a disaster. That's what those guys on Football the commentary were saying. Wasn't that complicated? Saying. That they were losing by twenty nothing in the first half, and they came back and they won. Uh, you know, thirty one twenty eight or something. They dominated in the second half. So they slipped some Mickey's into the Gatorade <laughs> of the other team, right? No, I don't know. During halftime, maybe their own Gatorade. I don't understand it. No one in all the discussion and all the exultation was absent as an explanation as to how the team could be so bad in the first half and so good in the second half. There's no explanation. They asked one of the receivers, Darius Slayton. Uh, how that came about. And he said, well, uh, we got the the ball at the beginning of the second half uh, and we scored. Uh, did we score? I don't remember. <laughs> that was the interview. <laughs> so uh, Darius doesn't know. So no one knows. No one knows. But, yeah. it, but at least it turned around. Yes, it did. Yeah. Well, it was hard for me to remember because most of the afternoon you were pretty glum. Uh, Mets won too yesterday. Big day. Big day. Yeah. Plenty of joy in Mudville. All right. So I pointed out to you. And I do mean Mudville. I did point out to you. Well, we did go to that. uh, How would you describe the place we went on Saturday We went to uh, an event at a farm. Event. (laughs) Owned by some people we know. Yeah. And uh, they are trying to encourage uh, pollinators. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the insects that fly around and pollinate. Yeah. And uh, so they've converted some... Parts of the farm to just open fields. Some of it seeded wildflowers, and some of it just uh, volunteer. Like whatever grows, grows. Well, it's it's, it's and like plus, and also on display were um, pieces of furniture uh, built, uh, you know, from trees that uh, they had taken down yeah. and so forth, and uh, heavy on the ash. All right. So let me put it this way. Because a lot of it ash was, died this year. It was a wilderness it was preserve. It was effectively a wilderness preserve. I think you'll go with me there. No. It was, it it was, was no, With a capital not, W. Not really. And a capital P. Not wilderness. Oh, it was pretty much. They, it was a they wild speak gardens. of it as their farm. Yeah, I know. But it was a huge, and, endless morass of uh, all these but crazy it's not things wilderness. growing. They, they are sort of cultivating it in a very careful okay, way. Okay, they might be, but they're cultivating one, it to, one of the interesting, to look like wilderness. That's, that's No, it doesn't look like wilderness. Yeah. They have trails through it. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, one of the interesting things they're doing is trying to make it a point of growing uh, native... Right, right. ...oak trees. Yes, you see, but, but that's my point in a sense. And so they've searched out... Right. 
oak trees that are native to Pennsylvania. Right. And have planted like 17 out of 20. So they're replacing species. a lot of the growth that, that was there. The random growth. With random growth, with native growth, which in a sense is they're trying to sort of restore the area to what it was like in the wilderness years ago. <laughs> That's my point. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and the fellow it's, is very interesting. He, he makes the furniture out of ash. I, I suppose it was ash. And well, he uses a variety. Okay. So it's, it's voice, very right. interesting pieces. They're mostly benches. In one case, there was a ladder, and and and, and they're quite expensive. But that's beside the point. Um, I'm sure it takes a long time to do it, and he's charging by the hour. But uh, <laughs> when, when you see, it was in the thousands of dollars for a bench. It's not by the hour. Yeah, I think it is. Let me put it this way: if I made this stuff at my normal billable rate as a lawyer, it would have been just about what he's charging. But but my point is this: he has. They have to think of it differently. There was like a ladder. That one would you use know, the scale it, to get to the roof. And normally you think of a ladder like you have an aluminum ladder in your garage. You swing it around and you, you go to the area that you want to climb up. This ladder, at least 300 pounds. I mean, there, you couldn't move this ladder. This ladder was never going to move the, from the place. Number it one, wasn't 300 pounds. Okay. <laughs> what was but, it? And number two, these are works of art. I know, works okay? of art. You're right. They, they're not meant to be they're not ladders. handy little You're not going to see them furniture. at Home Depot. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. These are works of art. They're they ain't kinda, going anywhere. Yeah, okay. You know? They're not going anywhere. You can't you know, lift they, them. No one is uh, designing them with yeah. the portability in mind. No, no, no. It was, okay. But it was, I thought it was interesting. It was interesting. It was fine. It was good. And uh, and our buddy Mark was playing. Playing the oboe. At the event. Yes, they had some music in the background. And they, they, these people were In the wilderness. What they were doing. They kept saying Wilderness was, oboe music. They kept saying to me, well, we, we went to the registration desk. They said, oh, you know, there's going to be music later. And we said later, I can hear the music now. It's behind you. They said, "Really? Okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's music." They were into what they were doing. You know, that's fine. So, to, let's get going here. You, uh, I, I gave you talk about competition. I right in your lane, a competition, a new league that you could dominate. And How could I possibly dominate yeah, this? I, the league is, do, but the competition is in parking boats. There's parking. The one thing I cannot do is park a boat. Oh, no. no. I've heard you stories remember, to the contrary. No, no. But the story you've heard is that yeah. uh, when the kids and I were on the Erie Canal, yeah. and I had to parallel park right. the houseboat right. in a busy area between two other boats, right. uh, I was fortunate enough that other... That Innocent bystanders lined up on the dock yeah. and advised me how to do it. I, you had spectators, I mean, and under all that pressure, you parked the boat, which makes no, no, you... no, no, no. They told me how to park. Let the me boat. tell you something. I had no idea. When the spectators watch the Mets, they tell the players how to hit the ball. It's, it's the same idea. The spectators the, are part of the event. The, the players don't listen well, to the spectators. To their detriment. In this case, I was. Their detriment. They should completely listen. dependent. Yeah. So, so, in that very, sense, that's the only link. This, you should explain this because this, this, uh, this is uh, this, this is an article. It's just a silly article about uh, these competitions. Yeah. In Maryland and Virginia, yeah. apparently, of parking, docking a particular kind of boat. Right. It's a boat that uh, works well in uh, the Chesapeake Bay area. Where there's, you know, where the water's not very deep. And mm -hmm. so these guys expert at handling these kinds of boats. 
And uh, what they do is, if people line up to watch this, and there is prize money, okay, but it comes out of a history of back in the day, maybe there was a few, you know, a tray of uh, soft shell crabs or something was the was the prize. But now they uh, these guys pull out of their slip, yeah. do something, and pull into another slip. Boat and talk. then tie the boats up. Slip. I like okay? that. Yeah, right. Um, it's apparently there's a lot of water and rushing around, and sometimes and, they bang into the dock. Uh, I guess it's and, very and, exciting. And people you, pay you money can, to see this, right? Yes, there is money to be had. Oh, God. Uh, I don't know if people pay money, but there, there somehow there, there is, uh, you know, money to... Really? Yeah, there's uh, money that they win. Okay. You know, I, I'm thinking that, you know, like McCaffrey's is, is missing out on something. They could, they have a parking lot with a lot of, you know, dicey situations, people pulling in, pulling out. If they could get people to pay money to watch the uh, parking, you know, even if they gave out prizes, they'd come out ahead, don't you think? No. <laughs> no. no, nothing remotely no. interesting in what you just said. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Here they compare it to NASCAR. Yeah, it's like NASCAR, just like it. Like parking is like racing cars. Yeah, um, but they it's say a good comparison. They say it makes money for the people in the area. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, organizers lined up cases of beer, oh, but boy. the popular drink is a Maryland Shore staple called the Orange Crush, which is made of orange vodka, triple sec Sprite. And fresh squeezed orange juice. Okay. Let me tell you what makes the uh, parking competition interesting. It's the orange vodka. All right? The orange vodka is the key. But uh, I, I don't even know. I, well, I don't even know. I don't, I don't think this article is going anywhere. It would be I a hard th- sell. I don't think this is going to catch on. It's, it's caught on. It's in <laughs> the know, New York call Times. Call me crazy. It's on the front page of the style section. It's on. It's on. You you spend a lot of time telling me how worthless the articles in the New York Times are. Hampton, now you're changing your tune? It's a bigger article in the Times than anything they had about the National Football League. So, you know, it's it's on. You know, they consider that sports. All right. It so, might be fun to get splashed by the boats on a be. hot day. With a little orange vodka. They said no one was complaining. No. <laughs> well, that puts it ahead of the Mets. Um, all right. So there was a very, you know, speaking of absurd or odd... But interesting article in the New York Times about the so-called new Sondheim show. So a lot of people have seen ads or news releases about there's a new Sondheim show, which is going to be on in the fall playing at the Shed, uh, which is the uh, performance space in Hudson Yards, which is not exactly Broadway, but not exactly low key. Do you have any idea what it's called? Yeah. Yes, I do. it's, It's right here. Just give me a second. Here we are, it's called. Here we are. Here we are. Easy, okay. It's an easy title to forget. Um, and, you know, those who are paying attention might say, gee, how could it be a new Sondheim show? Sondheim died almost two years ago, which kind of surprised me, but it's true. He died Thanksgiving 2021. So how could it be a new Sondheim show? And that's what this article explains. And uh, the story is that the Sondheim had started to work with a couple of folks to develop a show. uh, And he started in 2013, uh, working with David Ives and Joe Montello, 
Um, uh, David Ives being the playwright who wrote Venus in Fur, Joe Montello being a prominent director. Did The Humans, among other things, by the way. Uh, and Wicked. Uh, to develop a show based on two movies by Louis Buñuel, uh, and those movies being The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie and The Exterminating Angels. And we were aware that Sondheim was working on this project because we saw Sondheim at a Times Talks at the New York Times building on 8th Avenue by now, I don't know, four or five years ago, in which he talked about the fact that he was kind of fiddling around with this new musical based on the Buñuel uh, movies. And he gave kind of the impression during, you, you will recall perhaps better than I do, he gave the impression during the talk that he's working on it, but he's it's not going so great. He's not that optimistic it's going to reach any fruition. And then there were some self-deprecating comments by Sondheim of the fact that it's very difficult when you're older to write uh, a decent well, play. Well, it wasn't, he didn't say that exactly. What did he say? What did he say? He, he said, you know, the... Um, in uh, the introduction to uh, the talk, yeah. the host was saying, you know, was introducing him as a great eminence, and right. you know, um, and uh, yes, he's older, but he's still productive. Right. You know, isn't this amazing? You know, and and he cited all these other um, uh, playwrights, etc., who worked well into their nineties or whatever, and. Uh, one of the first things Sondheim did was quip, uh, yeah, and all, you know, almost all that work was awful. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. And so he did, he did, there was the underlying feeling yeah. uh, that uh, this may not be the greatest stuff he's yeah. ever produced. And, and, and he might not ever get it done. And in fact, he never did get it done. So what the article is, is about the various meetings and stops and starts I have some on Taylor on the one hand and Sondheim on the other had in terms of trying to develop this material. And just to, to walk through it quickly, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie is a film in which these, these group of folks who are you know, upper class uh, are trying but are frustrated in their attempts to try to get a decent meal. Uh, it's hard to explain, but apparently that's what is the running theme. And The Exterminating Angel, a little bit of the opposite, and that's a similar group of people are trying but failing to leave a very fancy banquet hall type room. Um, so they are, they in a sense, they are logical bookends. Um, and, and what the article really chronicles, the various uh, exchanges and interactions with quotes and emails and the like uh, that that group had over a course of eight or nine years uh, in terms of developing the material and having frustrations in developing the material. And... Uh, Really, the story is, as you read it, is that they couldn't do it, and uh, which is not shocking. I mean, uh, it probably was a challenging piece of material to develop. They're relying heavily on Sondheim. As they describe him, they say he would not have disagreed. He was a champion procrastinator. He always had excuses for not working on things, even though he produced a whole bunch of work. But he hadn't produced, you know, much in the last 10 or 15 years or so. And he was older and he was reaching, uh, you know, he was blocked in some ways. And, but the funny thing about the story, which again, generally is they couldn't get it done, is that at a certain point, uh, one of them has an epiphany, I guess it's Montello. He says, you know something, I think our problem is, it is done. The work we have has reached a logical conclusion. It is finished. 
there you go. Heck, we just missed it. We've already finished. Which didn't make much sense. And they throw that out to Sondheim. And he says, well, maybe. And they talk some more. And they do a little workshop. And then Sondheim passes away. Uh, so all this fits neatly into their being able to say at this point that it's a finished piece, even though I don't know that it was finished. It's funny. They take sort of a, a dual approach to playing both ends of the street here. They say, on the one hand, it's a finished piece. But on the other hand... It shouldn't be judged too harshly because it's not really a finished piece. Uh, and that's why they're not putting on our Broadway theater. Uh, but in any event, uh, so I wouldn't expect too much. So here are my questions. Yes, what? Did you get anything out of the article? <laughs> I got out of how difficult it is to write a musical. Uh, how difficult is it to write a play? Even though these people were all brilliant people, they had the best of intentions, and they had the greatest composer of the last hundred years working with them, it's hard to do. Uh, okay. And that's what I got out I of. believe that. And uh, so what do you think are the chances for this to be worth seeing or any I, good? Let me put it to you this way. Is it worth seeing? I'm sure it's going to be worth seeing because obviously interesting Sondheim stuff. Will it be very good? I think no. Will it get a good review? The answer is yes. Okay. I will put all those three together. Mm-hmm. And will it be successful financially? The answer is no. Uh, will it be produced on Broadway? The answer is no. But if you just look at the people, because it's Sondheim, they show the cast here. The cast is unbelievable, you know? You've got Dennis O'Hare. You've got uh, David Hyde Pierce. You've got Bobby Cannavelli. You've got Stephen Paschal. And it's unbelievable, you know. Of course, everybody's going to run to be in this piece. So you've got some big names. You've got some star quality. And it will be interesting. But, you know. All right. Well, tell me all about it after you see it. Well, here I get you the tickets, you'll be thrilled. Thrilled. All right, what do you have? You know, it doesn't sound so satisfying. <laughs> wandering around trying to get a meal and not getting it. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not really what I go for. <laughs> I, You know, I did see that movie. Oh, you did? The Screech Charm of the Bourgeoisie? Yeah, when I was in my 20s. Really? And uh, I did not get anything out of it. Mm. I should see it again, but no, um, no, I don't think so. I have a feeling I'm still it's still way above my pay grade. No, that, that's the wrong attitude. It's either like it or you don't like it. Okay, it's not, don't 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 put yourself behind the movie. I mean, uh, you, you don't like it. Yeah, so it came out in 1972. So uh, there you go. You know. Yeah, I saw it with some people. You might have probably been. late 70s. Yeah. Um, All right. In uh, in Princeton. Okay. Yeah. It was like a special showing, like foreign film. All right. All at right. the Garden. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all right. So on that note. Yes. And uh, we are going to some sign time. We're going to go to that revival of Merrily. Merrily, Merrily, yeah. Uh, which I think will probably be fun. Although, you know. Um, you know what is is nice about that? Right? I'll let you come back to Merrily. He does say, they do say in this piece, in the New York Magazine, that Sondheim was very energized by, I think that's the phrase they use, if not excited, by the production of Assassins at Classic Stage Theater. Right. Which is about and, and the revival of Merrily that was going on. No, uh, no, the revival of Company. Yeah, no, yeah. But they make the, I think it's it's more enthusiastic about Assassins even than Company. Anyway, he was, and he was still going to theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he went he, to theater. The day they say he was that. a regular presence at Company and at Assassins, yeah. which I hadn't heard. So there you go. Um, so anyway, so I was looking at the New York Times had uh, four big sections. Right. Uh, about what's coming up in the fall. Yeah. So 
I went through the film stuff. I can't make head nor tail Mm. of it. Yeah. I have no idea what I would like to see. Some of it sounds interesting, um, but uh, really, I'm pretty clueless. Most of it doesn't. And and I think the things that I'm finding least interesting will probably be, turn out to be, uh, you know, something I love. Why? Why would you ever sit You can't tell from the description. You can't tell from, you know, the plot. All right. Uh, Or you can't, you especially can't tell if it's a book you love, you know. Yeah. whether it's going to be any good. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and, and I just don't know any buzz about any of them. Mm. I mean, as I was saying to you before, if it's part of a series like Marvel and you know you love Marvel characters, right. you know you want to see that. But uh, well, that's not I, where I didn't, we are. So, you know. I didn't have that benefit. Yeah. But, and it was also listing, you know, um, exhibitions and blah, blah, blah. Again, uh, I was pretty clueless about all of it. Pop music concerts and so on but i did take a look at some of the upcoming television series oh, right um that are starting and reviving mm-hmm. and uh, you know a couple of them i knew enough to be a little bit excited lupin yes like what is it like the third season of lupin right it's coming up october 15th that's on max which mm-hmm. i guess is hbo max yeah 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 um and lupin's just great okay. i hope it's still good it's all right. You, you, I, I've never you, a lot oh, of come on. I like it. great. It's great. It got a little more adventure toward the end. It was a little more like there's a girl tied in the railroad tracks. And can you get there in time? You know, there's a little bit of that. I liked it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Anyway, um, some other stuff that's uh, coming up. That Oh, Annika, a series we watched on PBS. Yeah, I thought you were lukewarm on Annika. I am lukewarm. But at least I recognized the series. Maybe <laughs> okay. it will get better. Yeah, right. October 15th. It's, it's a detective series. And she's a little odd. Yeah, she's funny. And she breaks the fourth wall. And she yeah. talks to it's the so audience. Yes. And so on. She's and, a single uh, mother. And she's kind of sharp-tongued, sharp-witted. Uh, and, and she's a genius were, at solving crimes. Okay. You were sure it was Scandinavian. Turns out it takes place in Scotland. Is that right? Oh, that's yes. right. It is Scotland. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Um, so that's coming up, October fifteenth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lessons in Chemistry, right? Which is a a fun book, right? Is going to be a, a series, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, on stars. Yeah, that's starting no, in no, October. No, I think it's Apple TV, but we'll see. Um, I, 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 yeah, we, we can check it, but people will figure it out. It, 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 Brie, yeah. Brie Larson is in it. Um, so there you go. And I'm sure it will be terrible. <laughs> Only because I enjoyed the book, and uh, I and I think uh, you know, you know, when people interpret retro things, especially yeah. retro periods that you've lived through, yeah, it's sometimes hard to take. You know, I, I will tell you this: I, I have not read *Lessons in Chemistry*, but I, I will say it's gotten what I think is a, it might even be a bad rap, but it gets brought up a lot of context, like. That's a book which thankfully shows how bad women were treated in the late 50s and early 60s. And that's the point of the book, how women were so dismissed. And, and this book uh, sets things straight or something. And I'm saying to myself, well, that's that's a hard sell. I mean, it, it might be. No, it's not. It's not, I, that's I, not what the book is at all. I don't the book think, is actually. The book, I, I agree with the you. The book is funny. And the book is, um, you know, the the way the uh, the woman is presented, yeah. it, it, it's uh, I love it. I love it. It's like she's on the spectrum. She gets science and that's it. And it doesn't bother her. She's going to plow through life with her way of looking at right. life and not let any of uh, right. society nonsense but, stop her. Right. And and it's fun. And, you know, um, she loves rowing. 
I understand, but but the criticism. You know, have, she's not well mentally because <laughs> she loves well, rowing. You may agree with this or not, but one but, of the criticism I remember reading about the book, even the, the person who was writing about it that way, uh, the way I described, is saying the only glitch in it is that they make make a point of the woman's very attractive, and if you really were focused on trying to demonstrate or make the point that someone can just put their uh, nose to the grindstone and and based on their wits and their intelligence succeed uh that kind of says uh but she has to look like barbie at the same time and and it's no but despite that despite that she's constantly people are trying to take advantage of her because of her looks right and she doesn't let that Mm, um, destroy her either all right she she's hep to that you've talked me into it no i uh i'm interested i'm interested i think uh i think it's kind of a fun perspective okay actually and and as you know, I listened to it. I, oh, well, that counts. I had an audio version of it, All right. All right. and uh, you know that that was a lot of fun. I don't need any more than that. I can visualize everything there, but you know, All right. maybe I'll try and to. What watch else it. do you have? I sort of doubt it. Is there any other um, shows? How about Buccaneers? Oh, I don't. I noticed that. It's an unfinished Edith Wharton novel really that's on apple plus in november like, like the sun okay thing. Yeah. so that might be a good period piece or it might be a disaster yeah um uh let's see everyone else burns uh you got me that's there. on the cw starting uh, october 16th. what is that it's why, a, why is that catchy? a british show because yeah. it's uh about a you know a christian family somehow it's a comedy <laughs> it's about a christian family who is struggling with the restrictions of not being able to, right. you know, the things you have to, right. you know, not drink, not right because they're observing. not have coffee right. and everything, right. and and everyone else will burn. Right. So it just strikes me as uh, okay. perhaps a, a, one of those interesting British comedies. Yeah. Um, right. So so we'll see. Fall of the House of Usher. Okay. That sounds like a Vincent Price movie, but Edgar, all right. Edgar Allan Poe, right? Um, October twelfth, Net Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, there's um, uh, oh the final season of Sex Education. We haven't seen the third season of Sex Education. Yet. That's okay. I thought it. I I I thought it was a fun fun show. Yeah. The first season, second season, you know. I, it just uh, lost me a little bit. So you're getting you know, back the, on. You're getting back on. No, it not at all. I'm just saying. You know, it just made me think. Well, there was a good show. People don't know sex education. They should definitely okay. watch it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you can watch the fourth season. Tell me if it's any good. Well, I understand in the fourth season the high school is closed, so it's, uh, it takes place in different. Well, you places. know, I mean, in any case, you know, you're going through high school with these people. Mm-hmm. I think four years of high school is plenty. <laughs> okay. You know. Yeah. And four years of sex education, maybe not enough, but probably too much. Right. How about All the Light We Cannot See? You didn't make a note of that? I did. Uh, again, worried because it's a book I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about uh, um, World War Two mm-hmm. in um, France. I think it's the, the star of the show is someone who's actually blind. Yes. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, that will be, uh, that's also on Netflix, I think, in mm-hmm. November. Uh, so, you know, I mean, a lot of these things I'll, I'll give a try. But again, I 
I'm very comfortable believing that the best things will come out of left field that I never expected okay. to like. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Twinkies or something. There was some, yes. Big article in the Wall Street Journal. Yes. About uh, Twinkies because uh, I guess Hostess has been sold to... Smuckers. Smuckers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, Hostess went uh, bankrupt like a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, was uh, kind of bailed out by an investment firm, and uh, so the article is interesting. It, it told how they kind of uh, how they revived that that brand. So, but it went from selling, uh, I guess, this to the investment firm for like one hundred and forty million dollars. Right, and now it's worth Smuckers billions. bought it for four point six billion. Well, the, 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 so the story is the enduring power and appeal of Twinkies. Yes. Okay, Which so is... Twinkies were invented in like 1930 mm-hmm. by James Dewar, mm-hmm. who ate a couple every day and lived into his 80s. Yeah, well, he was okay. trying to come up with a product that was easy to make, and they had this foam cake that you could inject something into. Well, they used strawberry stuff most yeah. of the year, but not when strawberries were not in season. Right. This and they was went... the 30s, right? Right. So they, uh, retro- they refitted it to Bananas. make... A um, sponge that was filled with a banana right. stuff. And then during World War II, where bananas were ration, rationed, mm-hmm. um, they changed it to a vanilla cream. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. It's history, yes. And, uh, you know, people loved them. It was a disaster when uh, Hostess was shutting down uh, in the early uh, 2000s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they were, you know, Hostess... Uh, Twinkies and cupcakes and things were going for you know huge, huge prices on right. eBay because mm-hmm. people were afraid they'd never taste them again. And uh, this company took over and you know did a lot of uh, you know stuff you'd expect them to do. Right. Like uh, many many fewer people involved. Well, they gone from like thirty four thousand to three thousand. The fewer plants. Um, they changed the formulation so that. The Twinkies have a longer shelf life. That was the key. They used to ship out new Twinkies every week. <laughs> I'm doing the shipping out motion. Yes. And um, so the Twinkie uh, shelf life went from like 25 days to 64 days. Well, it makes a big and difference. And that made a big difference because now they could ship massive quantities right. to a Walmart warehouse. Well, but even that, I mean, the convenience uh, stores could take a bunch of Twinkies and hold on to them for a month and they'd be fine. Right, yeah. right. So, uh, you know, so the, you know, um, I mean, I guess one of the points is that um, Americans love their snacks. Yeah. And if, if anything, snacking has increased. That's what they say. The, one of the phrases is snackification yeah. of uh, America, and, you know, continues. Notwithstanding, to, uh, we'll talk grow. about health foods. People say, I want my snacks. And they call it a balanced diet. You eat some health foods, you eat some snack foods. But uh, Oh, you know what? Yeah. That's, that's, some, in this article, somebody refers to it as a balance sheet approach. Yeah. I don't think it's that. I think that's, you know, I understand why they tried to use that because it's, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal. But I think it's more of a diversified portfolio of foods, yeah. right? You have a little bit of this and a little bit of that right. and, and so on and so forth. Now, on the other hand, cereal 
cereal consumption is going down the tubes. Yeah. Used to be we all ate cereal for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Okay. They said 80s and 90s was the heyday. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's eating cereal for breakfast. And then, dun, 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 dun. and it was also during the period of we were anti egg. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Eggs were bad for you. Right. Eggs were high in cholesterol. You shouldn't eat them. And so sugar, not that bad for you. Carbohydrates, not that bad for you. Eat the carbs, forget about the eggs. And then, boom, that corner turned and people said, hey, maybe protein is better for you than sugar. And now sugar is the devil. Um, And of course, sugar is just sugar, carbohydrates, same thing. Uh, So um, people are moving away from cereals. Uh, a lot of the sugary cereals have decreased. Um, some, some actually have increased. So Kellogg's is having a hard time, right? Right. But General Mills with Cheerios. Yeah. Do you hear me, Hazi? Cheerios. Yeah. Pepper. Do you hear me? Cheerios. Yeah. They all eat Cheerios. They love Honey Nut Cheerios. There are a million uh, flavors of Cheerios now, but they're heavily promoted as heart healthy. Right. They have a heart. On the box, right. okay. So actually, they're doing okay because right? they have oats in them. That's that's what lets them do it. Okay, all right, good for them. Well, but, here, but you know, you know what is no longer in favor? Special K. Yeah, I don't most know boring cereal you ever but, but tested see, but in your life. The point is, there's no, no all, surprise. There are all there. these contradictions. On the one hand, they you know cereals kind of taking a downturn because it's too carbohydrate laden. On the other hand, people are still buying Twinkies. You know, so. You know, maybe the the moral is that, well, that cereal is not health food, and they were trying to sell it as health food, and that was a disaster. That that is how all these companies started. Yeah. It was, they were as yeah. health food. Uh, well, Kellogg's was like that. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, uh, you know, people are not. They see part of it is you need something you can eat on the run, like yeah. a breakfast sandwich right. or a burrito, you can't eat on the run. something like that. Um, so I, I I don't think. Well, that, um, but that's another point because a lot of the fast foods, and they say this also, a lot of the fast food places made a point of. They were all selling breakfast sandwiches at this point. And that wasn't the way. I mean, it was like one day one of them woke up and said, you know, we're open. We got the place. Maybe we can do something at breakfast. That's mm-hmm. the way it was 30 years ago. And now they promote their breakfast offerings quite a bit yeah. across the board. I mean, Wendy's didn't sell breakfast items until five years ago, I think. And then boom, they, that's a big part of their business. And there's also the thing of um, not everybody is uh, has a sweet tooth for breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would much prefer... To have a savory breakfast. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to the trouble to make myself a breakfast yeah, sandwich. You're not the target but, market uh, for the, uh, you know, uh, But um, I can see it having an appeal yeah. uh, if it's easy to pick one up. So yeah. that's the story on that. Yeah, it's the story on that? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of talk about the strike you know, and, and the auto workers. And I'm not taking sides in terms of, uh, you know, whether the auto workers are right or the uh, union is, is right. But the problem is... Uh, it's a no-win situation. It, it, it really, in a sense, it doesn't make a difference how it plays out. It can't work out for, for the workforce, okay? Uh, and, and this is why. It, the real problem here is that the cars are becoming electric or they're switching to the production of electric cars. And electric car production requires less labor. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but it's t- quite true. And the losers in that kind of movement are the union workers because they're going to be out of a job. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, on top of the fact that uh, that the production of electric cars requires less labor, is the fact that the competition for electric cars 
is not unionized. Tesla, Teslas are built by workers who are not unionized. All right. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, GM and Ford right now who are making electric cars and losing money on electric cars. They lose money on the electric cars they're selling. Uh, but they're kind of pushing that direction by the government who's putting in rules that say by X year, everything has to be electric cars. And they're losing money and they're saying, you know, uh, we're going to have to redo the entire workforce. And the workforce is saying, no, we're not going to stand for that because we noticed that the chairman made a lot of money last year and the vice chairman made a lot of money. So there's money. So I don't know how they're going to work that out. But this is not a good business to be in. It's not a good job to have to be a person who works in a, in a you know, fuel injection uh, car plant. That's not a, There's no future in that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether they succeed, I guess whatever they end up negotiating, both sides will claim it was a great victory. But the fact of the matter is uh, either the unions won't get very much this, so that GM and Ford can stay competitive with Tesla or they'll get quite a bit and they'll go out of business in three or four years. So <laughs> it, there's just no there there. Uh, and it, it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of sad. It's a little bit like the writers striking about, you know, artificial intelligence. They want a bigger piece of the pie. They want rules that you can't use artificial intelligence to do shows. Well, that's going to happen, okay? So you can put any rule you want in up a kazoo. You can even put in a rule that says you get paid three times what you're getting paid. doesn't make any difference. Three, four years from now, you're not working, okay? So, you know, the economic forces are the economic forces. And uh, sadly, there's no, no way to really stop them from moving forward. Anyway, uh, we'll see how that plays out. You're looking at me. Also, sadly, yeah. Um, there's a chain, like a huge chain of pubs in the UK, yeah, which has decided it will go to surge pricing, right, of pints of beer. That is to say, you know, in the afternoon or whenever everybody runs to the pub, yeah, uh, after work, uh, beer will be more expensive, as it should be, and people are not happy about that. Right. Well, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's just uh, it's a it, modern way to price this particular chain. I don't know. I mean, who knows if everybody's going to do it? Well, you can just imagine. On the one hand, it makes perfect sense to say this. This is like you know the surge pricing they're thinking of putting in in terms of congestion driving in New York City or that sort of thing. The notion of, uh, or, or better yet, the surge pricing in terms of the uh, Ubers or something like that, where there's more traffic and more demand. They raise the price of an Uber when you ask for an Uber. There's this a, article said it's also in movie theaters. Is that true? It's it's very I don't rare. Even know. It's very rare. It's very okay. rare. All it, right. A few movie theaters are trying right. it out. But but the fact of the matter is that uh, it has some logic to it, just from a demand curve, supply curve perspective. It has some logic to it, but it's very unappealing to customers. And if something very unappealing to customers, you can imagine someone being in a pub. After having a couple of pints in the UK and they get the bill and they're expecting it to be nine pounds and it's 10 pounds. They say, why is it 10 pounds? Because we have surge pricing. That guy might be a little difficult to deal with under those circumstances. And uh, that's what you have. They did say, they also mentioned that um, pub attendance is still down. Oh, really? From pre-pandemic. Why would that be? Same old reason that we got out of the habit of going to the pub. Got out of the habit Ah, because of the pandemic. I don't buy that. And they're trying to get people to come back. I don't buy that. But anyway, surge pricing is, is, is not going to help get them back, right? That's the last thing they need. Uh, okay, so this might be the last thing we'll talk about. We'll see because we're kind of going on, which is fine. Um, but there's an obituary here of a woman named Lisa Lyon. 
who's described as an artist bodybuilding trailblazer and Maplethorpe muse, um, Robert Maplethorpe being a photographer. And apparently she was the subject of a lot of his photos. But what we focused on was that she was a bodybuilding trailblazer. They have a picture of her uh, in a bodybuilding pose in 1982. And she was a champion in like 1980. And this, of course, you know, reminded both of us of the bodybuilding competition that we attended. And we're not sure the year. I think it was 1980, but I'm not sure. At the Beacon Theater in New York, the Night of the Champions. Right, and uh, and they had some women, and they, they you know they were somewhat heckled. Um, well, they they were put on. Here's what I recall correct about it: that the the, the competition was a male bodybuilder competition, uh, and by the way, it was jam packed, and it was a very right. enthusiastic. We've talked about this force. before. Move okay. along. Move along. Uh, <laughs> before they did the male competition, they just had let's call it an exhibition, an exhibition, an exhibition yeah. where they had you know top women bodybuilders come on and, and pose for like 20 seconds or a minute. And they were kind of almost booed off the stage. Maybe booing yes, too heckled. heckled. Heckled, yes. Heckled. Yeah. They said, you know, this is not what we came to see. Bring out the guys. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it, it was a bunch of... Uh, uh, your point is we might have seen her. Uh, we might have seen her. Okay. Uh, All right, good. Anything else interesting about her? I think it's interesting that she saw herself as a performance artist. Right. Okay, it's not like... Uh, she was, uh, um, you know, strictly into bodybuilding. She was no. into creating that right, body right, right. and, uh, you know, uh, right. well, anyway, maybe we saw her, maybe we didn't, but it was just funny to see a bunch of women in bikinis get booed off the stage. So, um, all right. So let, let me just do this final thing, which is interesting, interesting to me, at least. Uh, did an obituary of a fellow named Nicholas Hitchon who, as the time says, aged seven years at a time in the so-called up films. He passed away at the age of 65. So what were the up films? Um, and the up films were, and you'll recall this, I think, uh, a, a, a filmmaker uh, came up with the idea of filming a bunch of children in the UK on, at the age of seven, seven-year-olds in 1964, and um, with a thought, and well, someone else had the thought that they would be filmed every seven years afterwards. So it was called Seven Up, then it was Fourteen Up, then it was Twenty-One right. Up. Okay, you remember that? No. Oh, okay. So in any I've, I've read about it before, but it was not it's not something I was that I saw or no, I've never seen of. it. I've yeah. never seen it. I mean, uh, the original was. Uh, by a fellow named uh, Paul Almond, and then it was picked up by Michael Apted, and Michael Apted did the succeeding films. And the, the fellow who passed away um, was a guy who was, uh, it was a kid who was in a farm. Uh, and in a kind of, you know, he went to a very, uh, I'll say lower class or uh, medium class school. I mean, it, what, the point of the structure from the very outset was to film uh, the different strata of society and included would be those uh, out in the boonies who weren't getting the same education, didn't have the same advantages perhaps, of those in the city, higher class, higher money, which was another group. A total of 14 kids, 10 boys, uh, 4 girls. And um, it was a kind of a big deal. In 1991, I guess, uh, 
that was uh, three or four installments in. Uh, Roger Ebert um, reviewed it and called it one of the 10 greatest films of all time. Hmm. So, and some people thought it was a big deal and a very interesting experiment about how the class system in the UK worked and how these people's lives um, uh, provided evidence of that. Uh, the problem was, or I don't know if it's a problem, but the reality was, let's call it that, is that didn't quite work that way. That uh, it wasn't like those who were uh, in the higher classes succeeded and those in the lower classes didn't succeed. I mean, there's, there was a range all the way across. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hitchin being a very good example, Nick Hitchin being a guy who, again, was in, you know a rural child in a kind of an unsophisticated school in the middle of nowhere. And he became this very sophisticated professor uh ultimately in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, who had who had a hundred uh, publications on like uh, thermodynamics or things like that. Uh-huh. He became quite sophisticated. And he uh, he objected to the series to some degree. He was not the only one, but I'm focusing on him because the obituary is, is, is his. And he said he always felt that, you know, Apted had a point that he was trying to make about the class system. He said that he didn't feel that that was really borne out by uh, what you saw of mm-hmm. the 14 subjects here. Mm-hmm. And he felt that the way it was photographed and cut and edited right. uh, was trying to support was that proposition. So they yeah. always showed him when he was a boy with sheep. He said, you know, I like sheep fine, but my life isn't all about sheep. And it never <laughs> was. And... Um, uh, he said, and uh, he became quite annoyed at some point. He said, look, if I say anything stupid during the interviews, I can bet money it's going to be in the film. I mean, right, yeah. Uh, but he turned out he wasn't stupid at all. And uh, this fellow was And uh, yeah, so I, it is interesting. It wasn't interesting to me. I didn't realize that it was so highly celebrated in 91 that Ebert said it was one of the greatest movies of all time. But I do know there was a point that it was uh, much more... Uh, celebrated mm-hmm. than it is now and now I think it's been largely forgotten I mean Apted uh, passed away in uh, 2019 so I don't think there's going to be another uh, series I think the last one might have been at 63 all these people being 63 although I say all these people a couple have passed away by now mm-hmm. and a couple have chosen not to participate so uh, that series kind of ran its course but I mean as Hitchin said uh, his um he tells Apted during one of the interviews at the end when he's asked what his ambition is. He says, my ambition is to be better known for my accomplishments as an academic than for being in your film. And then he says, but of course I know that will never be the case. So there you go. Okay, so that's all we have. Uh, and uh, I guess what do we have? Yum Kipper is coming up. You can look forward to that. Nothing like a good fast day. Yes. Yeah, all right. Yes, so I, until I, then, this I is... I hope not to be... Anywhere near you on Yom Kippur. This is, uh, <laughs> That's my plan. Dan Abuhoff. And Tamson Granger with Tamson and Dan Read the Paper. We'll see you see next you. time.